as the first primaries are next month, I will be making videos discussing the top four candidates, three of whom I will not be voting for in the primary unless my choice is dropped out by April, but also why I will also vote for these people in the general, because they are still way better than Trump. This week, we have Mayor Pete, former mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Here are the top 10 reasons I will not be voting for Pete Buttigieg in the primary, but will happily vote for him in the general. Number 10, he has constantly padded his resume. While running for treasurer in 2012, Pete claimed his work with McKinsey using finance was involved with helping stabilize nations, claimed he worked on Fortune 500 companies, and he claimed to have made multi-billion dollar decisions using his work in economics. He only had three years of post-college experience at the time. Thanks to a non-disclosure agreement that expired last year, no one could fact-check him on any of this, and we just took his word for it. It turns out he had no work at McKinsey that was involved with nation-building or stabilization. He worked with no Fortune 500 companies, and only made suggestions, not decisions, and the closest thing he had to a multi-billion dollar company was Blue Cross Blue Shield, and that ended up firing a bunch of people, which he no longer mentions. That said, I do find it quite disturbing that people have made it sound like what he was doing at McKinsey was illegal or unethical. The problem is not what he did, it's that he took credit for things he didn't actually have power or say in, and seriously lied about his resume for eight years after leaving McKinsey and benefited wonderfully off the fact that no one could check what he actually did there. He now massively downplays his importance in resume at McKinsey as if his time there was inconsequential, completely the opposite of what he said before the NDA ran out. When asked about the Blue Cross firings, instead of actually answering the question, he sleazily shifted to claiming that some candidates were calling for a policy that would eliminate the job of every worker in the insurance industry. If he got those people fired, he was doing it to protect the profits of an insurance company who at the time still had the right to deny sick and dying people health care for pre-existing conditions, while Medicare for All which is going to eliminate jobs, is doing it to ensure people have affordable health care. This is a massively dishonest framing. Fining and regulating tobacco and coal companies that were killing people also eliminated jobs. He was on a team that pushed for the post office to get privatized, and he claimed he never took a consulting job that he had an ethical issue with. McKinsey at the time was listed as having an incredibly toxic environment of corruption and misogyny. They also had their fingers in every segment of the financial world that is dirty, including all the players in the 2008 financial collapse and Enron. I understand what it's like to take and work an ethically dirty job early in my career out of desperation or to gain experience, and had he said something like that, it would have been way more honest and real than him to say he saw nothing wrong with the company. That means he views it as normal and ethical, or was just oblivious to how much of a toxic environment the company had at the time, which isn't reassuring either. That said, if he wins the primary, I will still vote for Pete because at least he probably did a decent job at McKinsey and got the job mostly on his own merit, as opposed to Trump who got everything from his daddy, who ran everything so badly his daddy had to bail him out multiple times. It's estimated that he would have been worth around $8 billion if he had just sat on his inheritance, but is now considered less than $1 billion and didn't start making money until he started lending his name and selling properties at ridiculous prices to known foreign money launderers. Pete's resume is leaps and bounds better than Trump's. Number nine, he has issues with the black community. While serving as mayor, Pete fired black police chief Boykins, 
who was under investigation from the FBI for secretly recording his officers to root out corruption and racism. Pete claimed it was the investigation that made him fire the chief, even though depositions from Pete's campaign manager that there was no indication that the FBI was pressuring to fire Chief Boykins at all, it was just an investigation. While the recordings were technically illegal in Indiana, police employee Karen DePape, in a further deposition, who was also fired by Pete, said that there were a lot of racism on the tape, along with a plot by white officers to use Pete's donors to pressure him to fire Boykins, something Pete ended up actually doing. Bob Urbanski, a big donor in South Bend, was named on the tapes as the person the white cops were going to use to fire Boykins. On the last day of Pete's term as mayor, he handed out keys to the city, and Bob Urbanski got one of the keys. In 2018, Urbanski backed a campaign loan for the cop who had mentioned him in the tapes, along with Pete's lawyer who oversaw the firing of Boykins, and the lawyer who is still fighting to prevent release of the racist tapes. In light of this... As a way to reach out to the black community and repair relations, Pete has put forth a Douglas plan, and in emails the campaign sent out, they listed 400 members of the black community they claimed to support it. Many of the key people they highlighted didn't actually support the plan. From the sounds of it, they asked members of the black community about the plan. The members said they were supporting another candidate, but they said that they could consider the plan further down the line if Pete were to win, and the campaign just listed them as being for it and by proxy endorsing Pete. Pete's response, the campaign is looking into it, and everyone was sent an email to thank them for endorsing the plan and had the option to opt out of the endorsement by 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time the day it was sent to them. The letter started out with, good afternoon. That's like Facebook-level shit there, except they didn't sign agreements or get anything out of it. That said, I will happily vote for Pete to kick out Trump because he has not actively been racist like Trump was with the Central Park Five and preventing black people from living in his properties. Pete has no active racism, but may not stand up for them when it's politically disadvantageous. Number eight, for a history major, he's really bad at history. He claims in speeches that founders all thought slavery was good, then praised them in their infinite wisdom for making the Constitution changeable. This is pure warm and fuzzy for a conservative mind who treats all the founding fathers as saints even though everyone at the time viewed slavery as an ill that needed to go away. They just rationalized why it couldn't be done yet, including Thomas Jefferson. Franklin himself became a strong abolitionist in his later years around the time that he was helping to draft the Constitution. Any history major worth his salt should know that. He either is not worth his salt as an undergrad or was pandering to a crowd. He also claimed Obama in response to the term Wall Street Pete that they said the same thing about Obama and he freely gave Warren power over the CFPB even though it was pretty much a contentious relationship which gave her little say over it calling her just the cheerleader of the agency and the agency itself had little teeth. Obamacare had input mostly from Wall Street Pharma and insurance companies with only a little bit from actual doctors. For a history major, history is something he seems to be rather bad at. That said, I will still happily vote for Pete if he wins. He actually knows stuff about history and world affairs. Trump will talk about stuff from history he just learned and claimed, most people don't know this, when the majority of people actually know it. Pete knows stuff and can actually speak intelligently and was a Rhodes Scholar, something Mr. Kofefe could never hope to become unless he bribed the board for it, and God knows he'd probably try. Number seven, he's very shifty and hypocritical about donations. Pete's very inconsistent on small donor versus big donor funding. In one room, he claimed that we can't win by way of pocket change talking about small donors, but then said he was a grassroots movement. 
even though more than 50% of his money comes from big donors from pharma, banking, and the tech world. He tried to lower his average donation per person to pad his numbers by emailing his supporters to try and outcompete each other by donating the least possible. The wine cave people were talking about was owned by a couple in finance, and the woman got an ambassadorship in the past because she was a bundler, indicating that that's the kind of thing they're expecting, sweet deals for bundling. Pete was recently asked if taking money out of politics involved not taking money from billionaires and closed-door fundraising. He just said no and walked away. When asked about opening up his closed-door fundraisers he's been attending, he said he's open to the idea, but also says that he doesn't have a timeline as to when he will have that discussion. He also refused to give examples of his considerations and walked away. His response the next day when asked was to say, The house is on fire and we need to talk about Donald Trump. When asked what was holding him back, he gave a ridiculously corporate-style answer with no substance essentially saying, We want to make sure we're doing it the right way, and the team is working on it. Once again, I'll still vote for Pete over Trump in a heartbeat. Pete may hide details and obfuscate, but Trump has more lies on record than any politician in existence. Number six, he likes big corporations. Next to Biden and maybe Klobuchar, Pete has taken more of his money from big rich donors than any of the candidates. I judge no one for taking money from big donors in local or statewide jobs, thanks to Citizens United. Without big donors, it's impossible for down-ticket people to compete with super PAC money, and we must fix that. I also judge no one for doing fundraisers for down-ticket candidates with super rich people. It's actually good as it helps down-ticket candidates win, something we need sorely. It's why when people are calling Warren a hypocrite for calling out Pete for his wine cave because she's done them herself, she is doing them for other candidates so they can win down-ticket, not for herself. They have a tiny pool of people, and small donors alone won't elect them. However, if you're running for president, your base is the entire nation. If you can't run your entire campaign on small donations, you don't have a grassroots movement. You have a corporate one, and you probably shouldn't be running to begin with. It means you are artificially propped up by the rich. And while Bernie and Warren did come in from their Senate races with a sizable war chest from big donors, they stopped when they reached the presidential election. They had also built a nationwide brand already. Pete hadn't built any brand, really, and claimed, Of the people on stage, I'm the only one here who isn't a millionaire, even though Bernie wasn't before he ran in 2016, and his books sold well. Neither he nor Bernie were hurting for money either when they first started. And if he had worked on building his brand earlier, and had he taken his time like the other candidates and worked on his brand and got practice in politics at a higher level, he actually could have been a real grassroots politician. He has potentially 40 more years he could run for president, but decided that the time to do so was now, without building a brand for himself. Therefore, because America needed him so much, and he wasn't a millionaire, he just had to cozy up to the super rich. Warren didn't run in 2016 specifically because she didn't feel she had enough experience in the higher levels of office, even though she had 35 years experience at the top of her field and the highest paying non-deed professor at Harvard because she knew her limits. It's the thing Klobuchar brought up that compared to all the men on stage when it comes to pure resume, she and Warren are at the top of their fields while the men are relatively mediocre in competence. Women, of course, assume they're never good enough, so they will pass up opportunities they could take that a man will jump at even if they aren't actually qualified at all. If Pete relies on rich donors for his campaign, it means that while he's now popular, much of that popularity is artificial and propped up by the rich. 
That said, Trump just used saying the most horrible, insane, and cruel things to get the media to hyperinflate his coverage over the other candidates and relied on Russian influence operations to get elected and has paid Russia back in kind generously. So in spite of this point, I will still happily vote for Pete in the general. Number five, he's corporately disingenuous about everything and takes responsibility for nothing. McKinsey is known for being involved with every single economic crisis, including endorsing the Enron strategy, and was involved with all the companies that caused the financial crisis, and Pete's financial advisor was a VP at Goldman Sachs leading up to the recession. McKinsey's speak is set up to sound nice, but says nothing, and Pete has clearly picked it up. The team is working on it slash we don't know yet is pretty much the answer to most of his criticisms, meaning he doesn't have to give any solid answer, makes it sound like he's working hard to decide what happened and if they need to correct it, and doesn't have to take responsibility for anything. It's a great way to soften the edge of criticism, which he probably learned from McKinsey. When Pete released his list of big donors and bundlers in a move to appear transparent, he omitted a bunch of big donor bundlers that could be viewed as problematic or criticizable, including H. Rogan Cohen, a lawyer defending essentially all the companies responsible for the 2008 financial crisis. Pete sees lying as a very viable way to winning. While Pete uses his staff as a way to avoid answering questions, Trump believes everything he does is 100% genius, and it's his staff that's ruining it, and will bully and verbally abuse and throw them under the bus if his genius plan failed. Number four, he has links to Big Pharma and uses their talking points. While some people say it's a lie to say that Pete was for Medicare for all and then changed his mind, he said quite clearly in 2018 that healthcare is a human right. In America, human rights aren't something you actually have to pay for. Then he switched to using Medicare for all who want it as if it was a fresh new idea. This is a talking point straight out of insurance companies. This includes a line used to deflect criticism about his work at McKinsey, where thousands of workers got laid off from Blue Cross Blue Shield, by saying that Warren and Bernie want to eliminate the job of every single American working in every single insurance company in the country. This is fed straight out of corporate insurance propaganda. It's also ridiculously disingenuous because there is a huge difference between corporations firing people to give stockholders more profit and the government essentially phasing needless middlemen job with stockholder profits to save taxpayers billions. Quote, in my old job in the industry, I used to play the jobs card too, and I call it that because every time reform is proposed that insurance companies don't like, they say, oh, they'll have to lay more people off, said Wendell Potter, who spent 20 years in the health insurance industry, telling Hill TV, referring to Pete's claim, it's called playing the jobs card, and he's doing that. In response, Buttigieg's campaign spokesman Steve Savette pushed back against Potter's remarks, saying that his claim that Buttigieg is parroting industry talking points doesn't hold up. Pete's Medicare for All Who Wants It plan would make some of the boldest, most progressive changes to our healthcare system in decades in order to achieve universal coverage for all Americans, Savat said in a statement. It has also been attacked by the health insurance industry because it would create competition and force insurers to lower costs and improve care and lose customers. The health insurance company knows they're on an unsustainable course, and something is going to have to change when a Democrat gets in power. So of course they will attack the plan least damaging to them, as well to make it look like Pete is standing up to them. I love how often the self-aggrandizing word bold is used by Pete's team. I personally think that unless we can pass some very strong minimum wage, education, and safety net reforms, it should take insurance companies around 10 years to be phased out, but convert them into non-profit at a five-year mark before they become 
become eliminated to allow for attrition instead of killing the companies quickly, like Sanders wants, as it would actually hurt people's jobs. That said, if Warren's co-determination laws got passed, people would all have a say in their company's decisions instead of profits being the only goal. Pete is owned by the insurance companies and has some of the most money from them. That said, Pete will at least moderately improve their healthcare industry, unlike Trump, who has done everything possible to strip it and kill what modest protections we had from the ACA and break it up. Pete will protect the ACA and make it slightly better at least. We may even get a functioning public option, which is far and away light years better than we currently have. Number three, for him, it's not about honesty or transparency, it's about winning. During the debate for the campaign to become chair of the DNC in 2016, he repeatedly claimed to be at the Women's March, as if that set him apart, indicating that the other candidates for the DMC were doing self-interested stuff, like being at big donor fundraisers, or they didn't care. A woman who was running against him confronted him and asked, why was he being disingenuous? His response was quoted as saying, this is a competition, I will say anything I need to win. He said we shouldn't make public college free for millionaires' kids, even though we make public education free for their kids at lower levels. However, his plan is incredibly vague and only pays for kids of families making less than 100000 which doesn't help a kid if both parents in lower middle class jobs, especially if the parents are also loaded with student debt. If it's something he appears to have to take a stand for, it's all calculated to mislead or obfuscate and never blatantly honest. Trump, on the other hand, will say literally anything to win and will throw a fit if he loses anything, never take the blame for anything, and literally believes in nothing but winning, even if what he is saying is completely morally bankrupt and destructive. Pete has at least a cool level head. Trump is pure reactionary with zero planning. Number two, he has ties to Zuckerberg, so he won't prevent another Trump. In Harvard, Pete was one of the first 400 people to sign on to the new site, thefacebook.com. Since then, he's massively cozied up to Zuck and other people in the tech world. There's an article below called Mayor Pete is Silicon Valley's hot new startup. Zuck even gave him some of his top employees to work on his social media campaign. As I said in my video called Which Candidate Can Stop Another Trump, Pete appears young enough to know better, but is also immersed in the Silicon Valley corporate mindset. His plans for curbing the internet and misinformation are as vague as you can imagine, but with no real methodology as to how he would decide what he would use to fix the problem of social media, fake news, misinformation attacks, data privacy, and antitrust. As neck deep as he is in political debt to Silicon Valley, we can expect him to do the barest minimum and expect another Trump four to eight years later. However, do I even need to say it? Trump used and abused social media, and he and Mitch will do nothing at all to defend us from misinformation campaigns. The more broken the internet is, the better it is for him and all other fascists and dictators. Pete is and will still be ridiculously better than Trump, even if that bar is set so low. And the number one reason? A repeated pattern of behavior about little things that feel off. The biggest problem with Pete, except on certain issues, is that he's vague enough and doesn't do anything big enough to criticize and attack. But many people can tell something is off, and the far left can't quite put their finger on it, so early on they would attack him on things that are just one little thing blowing it out of proportion and looking like petty liars. 
I would do this myself and got rightly called out by some of Pete's fans because my arguments felt right, but it was actually wrong in terms of logic. It's not one thing, it's a repeated pattern in corporate doublespeak and lack of transparency that gets under especially young people's skin. In a study on microexpressions, young people were shown dishonest, neutral, and honest people, and they were really good at picking up the microexpressions. They showed it to older people, and they rated honest and neutral as neutral, but dishonest as very honest. Whether that is cultural programming from three-channel TV where politicians had direct access and you were told to trust them, or something that happens with age, people who love Pete are elderly people, while young people tend to feel like they're seeing a wealthy, entitled, cocky, and privileged used car salesman in action. They can feel it, but they can't make a solid argument. It's not that he has said anything wrong, it's how he said it and the repeated pattern of corporate fake tactics that I dislike about him, but it's hard to pin down. It's like I'm watching the movie Thank You For Smoking. It's not about me being right, it's about making you wrong. At least with Biden we're getting business as usual. Pete epitomizes and embodies everything I hate about hyper-competitive corporate America, especially what is reported about the dude bro culture in startup Silicon Valley. Even worse, he's got the Mike Pence such a nice boy image down pat that makes older people want to eat him up while he lies in their faces and takes their savings. That said, I know how to read his tells now when he's not telling the truth and literally anyone would be more competent and better for the nation than the guy in the White House who is way more entitled, cutthroat, and morally bankrupt. Pete actually does have issues he believes in and takes a stand on. He also has his own opinions. However, the ends justify the means, even if there was no point in that end just yet. Trump, on the other hand, believes in no one but himself and would throw anyone under the bus to protect himself. He has no personal opinions or beliefs beyond that of the last person he talked to 10 minutes ago, usually Fox News, and then forgets it quickly. Pete can be disingenuous, but Trump is an absolute nihilist. I remember under Bush having to stop myself from having knee-jerk negative reactions of distrust to everything the president did because sometimes he did the occasional good thing for good reasons. Pete will be far away better than Bush. With Trump, I gave up long time ago and every single remotely good cloud he does comes with a toxic lining, proving himself yet again to be a self-centered dumpster fire of a human being. So thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. I'm sure there was nothing controversial about this and everyone will happily get along in the comments section, which you can do on the YouTube version of this video or my Facebook page, After School Democracy. Link in the show notes. Just a reminder that I'm Anubis2814 on YouTube and I have over 500 videos on different topics that I've made over the past 10 years. Please subscribe and if your podcast site has the option, give me a like or review. If you think what I have to say informed you, consider supporting my Patreon. I'll be doing this podcast weekly and try to get it out on the same day, so I hope to see you here next week, ready to be filled with new ideas. Take care. This channel is helped tremendously by the generous supporters on Patreon. A big thank you to the wonderful Joe Taylor, Elias Garcia Guevara, and Ogrel for their support at the $10 a month Wapawet level. Please consider donating to my work if you can, and thank you all for listening.